0: Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this Word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember... You are love. Today, I want to get started, and I want to jump into 1 Peter. Um, Let's give a hand. Let's thank the worship team just for um, leading us and and being there for us in worship. We appreciate them greatly. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Open up your Bibles to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Once you're there, uh, give me an amen so I can know uh, that we are all there. 1 Peter chapter 2, as we continue our series, More Than a Letter, and we read uh, through... Uh, the book of 1st, or the letter of 1st Peter and 2nd Peter. And today we find ourselves in chapter 2. We'll cover the first 11 verses or so in chapter 2 today. And we'll do our best in doing that. Just because when you do something in this style that we've been doing, um, there's so much information that comes out with every verse. And sometimes you could preach a whole different kind of message uh, just on one verse. So we want to make sure that we spend time Teaching on what the heart of God is speaking through Peter and writing through Peter's life. And I want to be very consistent and um, um, correct in that. Amen. Today's message, if you're taking notes, write this down as we we know that the series is titled More Than a Letter. Because we've learned that this is not just a letter that is written to the early church. It's more than a letter. It's still speaking to us uh, today, directly to us today, very personal to us today. It's still convicting parts of our lives today, amen? It's still making alive many parts in our lives today. It's, it's the, it's the, it is a letter to the early church, but it is the word of God that is written for us. And as we find ourselves in chapter 2, we title this message today, write this down. It's such a very, very encouraging title. It's this, rid yourself. <laughs> rid yourself. It's not, it sounds like a negative a negative tone, but it's not. It's it's a good thing. You'll see what I'm talking about in a moment. Rid yourself and uh, R I D. Rid yourself, and uh, I think we're going to be blessed today uh, by Peter's letter and this section of it. And as we continue through it, um, we know that uh, it's written by him, Peter, and it's written to the uh, the believers in the Asia Minor um, region. And he writes to them, just to summarize a little bit every week, that true Christians will what. And hopefully you caught this already through this first letter. True Christians will experience hostility, right? We've learned that. They're going to experience hostility from an ungodly world. I believe that we would all come in agreement today to say that we, we live in an ungodly world. And when someone decides to live in righteousness in the midst or, in the, or surrounded by, by that which is ungodly, the unrighteous would be persecuted, will be persecuted because they're surrounded by ungodliness. That's what Peter's writing. And the call to patience and holiness in the midst of this suffering is applicable as we read it today to every single one of us. And not only to us, but really to all believers all over the world today. That in the midst of suffering, we must what? Have patience and not only that, but we will what? remain what in holiness. And that is applicable to every believer and those that are suffering abroad even in places that we can't even understand the torment that many of our brothers and sisters are going through. But that's a reminder for them. And if you hear testimonies like Voice of Martyrs and if you receive their booklets and if you go online, you will see how their holiness has deepened. All right, How their joy has deepened because persecution has become more severe we've seen that as persecution becomes more severe in a believer's life holiness and and what righteousness what begins to grow even deeper in someone's life in that believers life so persecution of Christians, it's, 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 it's always been, and I believe as I read the Bible, it will always be until we are in the eternal kingdom to reign with him secure in all power and might, right? Until then, I believe that it's biblical persecution of Christians. And it's as of great in many areas all over the world today as it was as we read here in First Peter, Second Peter, in first century, that those are, they're suffering for the sake of Christ. And First Peter assures us, and, 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 and that many opposed Christians today, that although we may experience this suffering now, or maybe so many individuals are experiencing suffering in this current day, that we will be partakers of the glory of God. And I know that this house can say what? Amen. I will be a partaker of God's glory, and that's going to be revealed to all this world. But in the meantime, what have we learned? These two things. Number one. Number one, we are to be a redeeming force to this world. We do not shrink back, we do not frail, we do not grow timid in our gifts, but we what? We are a redeeming force going forward in this world. Amen. A redeeming force. Why? Because our redeemer lives in us. Number two. We have reason to rejoice, always. We have reason to rejoice as we anticipate Christ's return. As we anticipate the return of Jesus Christ in glory. So what do we do? We find joy. Because what? Our Christ is coming back. And all of us could say, amen Amen to that. Hallelujah. Let's get into this. That's what we've learned in a summary, in a nutshell. We've gone deeper in all those things. But First Peter chapter 2, are you there? Let's go to verse 1. I'm going to read from the New Living and we'll bounce around from ESV and New King James and all that good stuff. In verse 1, look how he starts off in verse 1. He says this, So, everyone say so. Yeah. So get rid. <laughs> get rid of what? Get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit hypocrisy jealousy and all unkind speech ever been there you've ever had unkind speech come out of you you've ever been jealous anyone here ever struggled with jealousy anyone out here um, know like man today I struggled with hypocrisy today <laughs> you've ever, maybe you hung out with somebody like that was hypocrisy alright deceit Peter says get rid of all this behavior what, what does he call these things this kind of behavior what does he call it yeah, there's no justifying it for Peter. There's no like gray and white for Peter. There's no like, ah, I understand. You know, life is hard. It's hard to be a Christian. Peter's like, look, we're mature. We're growing up here. I don't have time for this stuff. Peter's like, get over your evil behavior. <laughs> Can you imagine Peter's and Paul's being the pastors of today's churches? Just imagine that. Like, he just, they, like you have meetings with them, and you sit down in their office, and, like, oh, I'm just, and they just look at you and say, Listen, listen, we don't have time. Let's just get straight to the point here. Get rid of your evil behavior. You'll probably get offended. Listen, I've, I've had people get less offended with me. So imagine Peter and Paul by telling you that. I would I, I struggle to say that to someone. i uh, so I say this to them. I've had people, I've had people struggle because I, I might not follow them, let's say, on, on social media. This is talking about evil behaviors in your face. That, that, that's how extreme this is. Imagine Peter and Paul living in this world and pastoring in this world. So get rid of what behavior, church? He says evil behavior. Well, what's the evil behavior defined in the scripture by Peter? Here it is. All of your deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and the speech that comes out of your mouth. It's unkind. All of that is evil behavior. And look what he says in verse 2. Like newborn babies, you must what? Crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. I like verse 2 because verse 2 is giving us hope to get through verse 1. Oh, I am verse 1. I see myself struggling with evil behavior. Okay, if that's you, Peter says, Peter says, then what? Like a newborn baby, start to crave pure spiritual milk. So that why? Think about it. Why must you begin to crave the milk that God gives us, the nourishment that God gives us? Because then, what does he say next? Please look at every single word. Then you'll start to grow. The reason why you're stuck in evil behavior, it's probably because what? You haven't what? Received nourishment from God. But a believer who is receiving nourishment from God is experiencing growth from evil behaviors. And all the mature men and women of God of Nest Church say, yeah, that's us. Not me, evil behavior. I'm never jealous and I'm never deceit and I've never speak and act in hypocrisy and me, unkind speech come out of my mouth? Never. Why? Because you're drinking from what? Pure spiritual milk and you're what? You're growing in Christ and in his word every day, aren't you? (laughs) Gotta love the word, man. You crave it. Everyone say crave and then he goes on in verse 2 and he continues in the end of that verse and he says, cry out. Cry out for this nourishment. You should see my daughter in the morning. No, I'm serious. You should see her in the morning. She lays down on the couch and the first thing that comes out of her mouth for all my English speaking folks, I'm going to say milk in Spanish. And she says, leche! 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 I'm like it's coming (laughs) I got to put it in the canister I got to heat it up I got to do the whole process and then I got to close it up and then I got to walk to you and I got to deliver it to you and hopefully it's at the temperature that you like it queen princess (laughs) but what is she acting like she's acting like a Like a newborn child, what craving nourishment. And and when she longs for it, what is she doing? It's not here yet. How come, how dare my parents in the morning when they wake me up not have the milk ready and prepared at the temperature that I like, in the bottle that I love, and have it there ready for me so when I sit down and I reach out my arm, it's already there so that I could, with no energy, just put it right into my mouth because I'm four years old already and I could drink it by myself and be satisfied with my personal being but instead she screams out what let it why because as a newborn babe she is craving for nourishment and everything inside her says give me milk because my body longs and craves for that which is good that could preach to you because the same way that she craves for milk in the morning, my question to you is, do you crave for the presence of, the, of God in the morning the way my daughter does for milk? Do you crave for the word of God every single day the way that my daughter does for milk? Come on, that's what Peter is saying. Get rid of your beha- evil behavior. How come we haven't got rid of our evil behavior? Because you truly are not crying out for the nourishment of God. Let's just be honest. As soon as you put that container with, the, and she starts drinking out of straw, it is... Ah. No more. You don't hear from her. You don't hear from her. So what do you do? You crave the pure spiritual milk. Why? Why do I crave it? So you're going to grow into a full experience of salvation. And what do you, how do you, how do you... How do you live your life? You cry out for this nourishment. You cry out for this nourishment. Verse 3, now that you have tasted of the Lord's kindness, you've tasted and you've seen that God, the Lord, is good. Come on. see how, You see how deep and how powerful and how beautiful the word of God is? Love that. You have to remember how we ended chapter 1. I know it was two weeks ago. But in chapter 1, we ended verse 22 and 23 this way. You were cleansed from your sins. You, were, you obeyed the truth. I'm reading verse 22, verse chapter 1. So now you must show sincere love. And then in verse 23, Peter writes, For you have been what? Born again. And then now Peter in chapter 2 continues in that thought of writing. And as he continues in his writing, in his penmanship, he says on in his letter, he says, so because I've just said all this stuff to you in your verse 22 and your verse 23, I now write to you on chapter 2 verse 1, rid yourself of all these things that what? That keep you stuck and stagnant from growing. Have you ever felt yourself at a place where you've just been stuck from growing? Have you ever found yourself at a place where you've just been stagnant? Seriously, you're like a Christian, but you're on cruise control. Like the engine hasn't passed 60 in a long time. You're just happy at cruising at 60. And you've allowed your life to just to be what? All about 60 miles per hour. When you don't know that God has 100 miles per hour waiting for you. Come on. I'm, listen, if there was a big massive mirror standing right here in front of me and not you guys. I'm preaching like to, to a massive mirror. We've been there. We are, some of us are there. That's why we need the word of God. And and he's saying, rid yourself of all these things that keep you stuck and stagnant from growing. Well, he defines some of them. I don't think this is all of them. He just kind of gives some to maybe what I believe could be some of the issues of this group of believers. And he says to them, hypocrisy and deceit and jealousy and slander. The NLT says it, unkind speech. New King James and ESV, I like the word it uses. It says, slander. Slander is a, a very important word here. It's better than unkind speech, if you ask me. Slander. What is this slander? These are the things that come out of your mouth, from, and they come out of your mouth. Why? Because they're what? What, what, what? They've given birth in your heart. And because they've given birth in your heart, what, what, what? Your mouth comes out of your mouth. Nothing that your mouth says, nothing that your mouth says, it's not firstborn in your heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says the mouth speaks. So when we begin to speak, oh, I just didn't mean it. No, there was a part of you that definitely meant that. Because in your heart, it was laying there somewhere. It doesn't mean it's true. It just means a true place of where you're at. The word of God is so beautiful and so correcting and so encouraging. And and Peter says, uh, slander, get rid of it. Slander is that backbiting. It's another word that you could use for slander is defamation. What is defamation defined as? Hopefully you look at it as this. That's damaging someone. That is actually damaging the good reputation of someone. That's a very scary place to be at. When you damage someone's good reputation, how do you do that? Psst did you see when so-and-so walked in? Immediately, you've already, what, planted a seed in that person. Next thing you know, that person's always going to look at that person that walks in differently. Why? Because you've already, what, caused, what, slander, defamation. You've already caused a good man with a good woman with good reputation to walk into a room. You've already caused something evil to happen. You planted a seed of negativity in someone else's heart. So now that begins to spread because, my goodness, does that spread like cancer. And now everyone starts to look at that person. Next thing you know, there's going to be but a moment. If that continues, that fire continues, that that person is going to be, what, excommunicated from that group hurt, beaten, destroyed, and you'll see they'll never come back to that group. That is why many people have left churches. Many people have left churches, and I think one of the main reasons is probably because of defamation, slander, bad talking. People don't know how to what speak to one another. Why? Because we have issues in our heart. I think that less people leave churches because of doctrine and theology, and because the pastor is a fool, and all those things. I think most people leave churches is because that group of people hurt me. What happened? They said this. And then what? It spread. And then what happened? They all started looking at me like this. And then what? I didn't feel like it was family no more. So what happened? I just felt like I wasn't, I wasn't part of that no more. Something that I was part of for so many years. And then what would you do? I had to go find somewhere else to get connected and rooted to find family. And again, you see that? How many of us have heard that story on and on and on? It's a cycle. And every church does it. Why? Because every church is dealing with what? With immature pre- people that do what? That continue to slander others that come in. Why? Because they have something that I don't have or they're a threat to my gifts. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to speak about them. So that way they could know they'll never get my position. Guys, this is beautiful. We're, we're, we're. It says, and crave pure spiritual milk. That's what you do. He's not telling believers here, hey, guess what, necessarily. He's not saying, hey, listen, you're not, it's not that you're just all immature. It's not that. But rather he's telling them, don't just come here and just want something, but get to the point where you long for this thing, that you crave with all of your being. Kind of like what I was speaking about in worship, that you will have a genuine love, desire, even for your brotherhood, and an eager desire for the word and, and I, I want you to know these two things if, because we're the church and we're the body. And I'm going to share something with you real quick because I think this goes into this, this teaching. Um, a genuine love for God and his word and for the brotherhood, they go hand in hand. Please write that down in your notes. If you say you love God, our mission statement here, just in case none of you know, it's to ignite an authentic love for God and for people. There is no way that you could separate your, your love for God from people. Or there's no way that you could separate your love for people from God. I hope I said that right. But you can't. What I mean by that is if you love God immediately in your heart, God does a work in you that you what? You begin to love people. That is the way God works. That's why our mission statement is that. So, so they go hand in hand. Please listen to this. I believe this. I, I think we could teach this on and on in the word of God. A true Christian, for whatever that means, okay, a true Christian. I know, I hate that statement too. A true Christian does not say they love God, but yet they don't love people. Oh, I love God. It's just the church. I just hate them. They're not reading the Bible because the Bible says what? He loved her so much that what? He gave up his life. But yet you don't love that which God gave his life for? That's an issue. Did you guys understand that? How can I say I love God, but then I can't stand the very thing that what? He came in human flesh and what? put himself to shame, died for that being. And yet I say, ah, him I love. But them, I really can't stand them. Listen, most likely if that's you, you don't have the love of God in you. I love you, but you need to know that if you struggle in loving people, you're probably truly struggling in loving God. It goes hand in hand. It's biblical. Hand in hand. A true believer does not say they love God, but yeah, don't ask me to love people. I just can't. I love God, but don't ask me to love the church. I can't. Do you know that John has something to say about this? In 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, it says this. Please listen to this. This is good scripture. It says this. We know. This. Oh, sorry, I went a little too fast. It's going to come up on the screen, I think. 1 John 3, 14 and 15. It says this. We know that we have passed from death to life. How many of you could say, yes, I've passed from death to life? All right. Because we love the brethren. So one of the evidences that you have passed from death to life is that what? You love people. He didn't even talk about like your devotionals. He didn't talk about like your tweets. Or no one tweets now that much. uh, Your stories on Instagram. Your Bible verse that you posted. He's not even talking about that. He's like, you want to know how you know you've passed from death to life? You begin to love people. You begin to love people. You love the brethren. He who does not love his brethren, guess what they live in? Guess what they dwell in? Guess what they abide in? A person does not love the brotherhood is a person that dwells and abides in death. I read verse 14, and this is a very severe statement. Be very careful when you say, oh, I just don't love people. I just can't stand the church. I just can't. Now, there's been moments where it's like, Lord, it's really hard for me to like that person. Don't get me wrong. Lord, it's, re- it's been really hard for me to really... That's, okay, we could talk about that. But to say it, I just can't stand them and I don't like the brotherhood and I hate and I don't love, it says whoever does this abides in death. Verse 15, again, I love this because it's nothing that I'm saying. I'm going verse by verse, word for word. The Bible proves itself. I don't have to do any work. Today my job is very easy. I just read the scripture. Verse 15 says this, whoever hates his brother, guess what he is? Is a murderer. And you know that no murder, I love, I love John, and you know <laughs> That no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It's almost like he's talking to my son, you know? And church, you know this. So we love the body. Everyone say that. I love the body. Make it you. I hope so. And I long for the word. Why? Because of the growth it brings to our lives. When you love each other and you love his word, it brings growth. Both bring growth to your life. Why? Because you'll be amazed when you begin to love each other and you begin to really get intimate in that love with one another, you'll begin to see how someone else's life in your life is going to bring growth. God caused the church to what? To grow together, not for you to grow individually. To grow together. To grow together. Why do we long for his word? Why do we study his word? Please write this down. Why do I study his word? And why do I read and long for his word? Hopefully you're not just reading it. Hopefully you're studying it. Hopefully you're longing for it. Why do I long and study and read his word? Here it is. It is not just to learn more. That is good. I'm not bashing that. But it is not just to learn more. Many people just study to learn more. That doesn't mean anything. It is not just to learn more. Though you need to learn more. It is not just to learn more. But to become more mature in my faith. I need the word. I need to study the word. And I need to read the word and long for the word. Not just so that I can learn. But I need to grow and i need to mature in my faith. And that's why it's important to me as well. Verse 2, he goes on and says that you'll grow up into a full expectation of salvation that you may grow up into salvation I'm only in verse 2. Okay, so listen, i agree that we are all saved. Hopefully we're all saved in this room. Hopefully we've all accepted Jesus Christ into our heart. He's he started the sanctification work and the transformation is there. But listen, though we can all be saved in this room, here's a great question, are we all growing in our salvation? That's two different statements, okay? When you come into a crowd of people, this is what Peter is drawing a fine line. He's saying, I get that I'm writing to a group of people that are saved, but my question is not whether you are saved or not. My question to you or my statement to you is whether you're growing in your salvation. That is a very important statement in Scripture. Because he's meaning that the church or the believers in this area are not meant to what stay where they started. It's to what? You are, con- you are to continue to mature in your faith and grow. Like what? Like ridding yourself from what? Evil behavior. And what are they? To see jealousy, slander, and all the things that we've spoken about. Do you see the framework of Peter's writing, how amazing it is? And that's what Peter is saying. So yes, we can all be saved in a room. And I've spoken to a lot of saved people. And I've spoken to a very young person who's saved. And he sounds like an 80-year-old Christian because of wisdom and grace that he has. And I speak into what? 60-year-old men and women? That sounds like what? Like a 10-year-old Christian. What am I trying to say? It's not about necessarily just being saved. It's about what? Verse 2, that you will grow up into a full experience of your salvation. Or this way it says it, that you would grow up into your salvation. So it's about growing in it. And that's the question for you to ask yourself as you study the Word of God. Am I growing? Am I maturing in my salvation? Or am I stuck at the initial starting point of when I first received? Please listen to this. Please listen to this. Are we stuck at the initial starting point of when we first received? Or are we growing and maturing in our salvation? Amen. Can we move forward? All right, a lot of good stuff here. Verse 3, Peter says, now that you've had a taste that the Lord is good, now that you've tasted that the Lord's kindness, you've tasted this, you what? You cry out, you continue, you faithfully cry out for nourishment. What does that mean? You're crying out for leche does not end. You cry out for the rest of your life, for the milk of God, for the nourishment of God. It's like, well, you know, I've, I've matured, I've stopped crying out for, no, 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 that's immaturity. A person, it's totally opposite, right? The, the laws of heaven and the Laws of Earth. You see, if my daughter is 50 years old and comes to visit, hopefully she's out of the house at 50. If not, we have problems. But if at 50 years old, if she's still home and she's like at 50 years old, gets out of bed and say leche, and we're like 80 or 90, and she's saying leche, there's issues there. Okay, but 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 the way that the dynamics change uh, in the spiritual realm is that we're 40 and 50 and 60, and that cry and that drive never leaves. That we are 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 years old, and the cry in you has never left to what nourishment of god that you're still crying that out every day of your life and that's what peter is saying here you continue to cry why do you cry out for nourishment why do you cry out for leche because you've tasted that he is good you've tasted that it is good why does my daughter love to drink milk every day because it is good no one puts something that is bad oh i just love to cause myself to suffer So I'm going to drink something that is sour because I love to suffer first thing in the morning. No, you drink what is good. And what do we do when we've tasted that the Lord is good? We continue to cry out faithfully for the rest of our lives. Amen. That initial place where we experience and receive this salvation, we could all say, wow, that was a beautiful place. That is a good place. That is a special place. But we continue from that place to what? To deepen the longing of his word and to deepen the longing, the crave of his presence. Hallelujah. Believers, our goal is not the starting point. Write that down. Our goal is not the starting point. Our goal is the finish line. Our goal is the finish line. That the moment we cross it, that we become what? A more sanctified, glorified, and matured man and woman in Jesus Christ. What is your end goal? The finish line. My goal is not to start the race. My goal is to finish the race and finish it well. That should be every single one of our goals. To finish and finish well. Not to tarnish your reputation, your testimony. Not to die and when you die the headlines come out of who you really were. Because all the stuff came out of who you really were. You were hiding it and the rocks were lifted up and poof. Now it came out. What do you, That you would finish and finish well. How many of you could say amen? Come on. Everyone say this. Rid myself. Such a good statement to say to yourself. Right, I'm going to fly through scripture to show you that it's not just in 1 Peter. And these are just some that I handpicked. It's all over scripture a very famous one Galatians 2.20 rid yourself here we go I have been crucified with Christ rid yourself it is no longer I who live Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by the faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me do you see the the context there do you see what we're talking about Luke chapter 9 verse 23 Jesus says if anyone would come after me anyone would come after me guess what they have to do rid yourself let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me see that Galatians 5.24, Paul again to the church of Galatia. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, guess what they've done? Repeating what he just said in chapter 2. Have crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Rid yourself. John 12.24, what else does it say here? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, and guess what it needs to do? Die. Rid yourself. It remains alone, but if it dies, what? It bears much fruit. There it is. Philippians 1.21, for to me... For me to live is Christ and to die is rid yourself. John 3.30, he must increase but I must decrease. Rid yourself of yourself. I've noticed in my life, I'm at a point in my life where I've learned that what? My greatest enemy is not Satan, no more. Like I don't wake up in the morning and say, oh my God, I really hope Satan is better with me today. I recognize that in my walk with the Lord, my greatest enemy is me. My greatest enemy is my mind. The first battle that I have to start battling with is I have to look within and say, am I at the right place? I recognize that in my walk, that the stumbling block in my own walk could be myself. Now, does that not, does not mean that the enemy will not bring challenges and temptations? and try- Of course. But what I'm trying to tell you is I'm not putting, I'm not giving him so much credit. I'm telling you that I've recognized that there's things in my life where I have to just come and say, I have to rid myself of myself because he'll say now after we've read all these verses and after we've read verses one through three why do i have to rid myself because you're coming to christ you've entered into christ let's read verses four this is what we're going to do we're going to do this quick verses four through ten let's just read through it because we're only going to read up to 11 today because i'm only in three verses so i need to get through all of them let's just read through it I'll read from the NLT, whatever translation you're reading. And as you see, we're jumping around from, the, from at least from New King James to ESV. But verse 4 says this. You are coming to Christ. You are coming to Christ. I love this. Stop. Let's stop there. I know. Because verse 4, we're saved. We're saved. But notice, how many of us have, have described salvation and we describe salvation as I've come to Christ? But Peter just got rid of that. And says, no, no, you're not, you, don't, you didn't just come to Christ. That was your initial, that was the initial place of your salvation. But what, what are you doing daily? You're coming to Christ. You didn't, you didn't come to Christ. It continues to happen. It, it, what I mean by that is that you're not getting saved every day. The Bible says you're working out your salvation every day. And how do you live out your salvation every day? With fear and trembling every day. So when Peter says, hey, you're coming to Christ, I want you to recognize, like, oh, this is deeper than just, hey, come up to the altar call. Let's get 10 of you to say, you're saved now, say a prayer, and then we'll put it up and say, 10 people receive Jesus. Well, it doesn't just end there. Hopefully the teaching continues, like, wait a minute, don't just come to Jesus. Now that you've come to Jesus, guess what you do tomorrow? You keep coming. And what do you do Tuesday? You come again. And Wednesday, you go, every second of your day, you're coming to Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Verse 4, you're coming to Christ. Why are you coming to Christ? Because he is the living cornerstone of God's temple. Remember you're the temple? So what does that mean? Your temple is built on him, the cornerstone. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for greater honor. Verse 5, and you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Come on, how good is it to hear that you are a holy priest? You've been called a lot of things in your life. But Peter right now, the Holy Spirit obviously is now calling you and renaming you and identifying you as something totally different. You're not what they say to you. You are a holy priest. Through the, meta, the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer now spiritual sacrifices that please God. That's the stuff that we're talking about in worship. As the scripture says, this is what he says. I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him, Jesus, will never be disgraced, never be put to shame. Verse 7. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor of God, so many things, has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Verse 8, and he is the stone that makes people stumble. How cool is that? The rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. He, he, he has these different dynamics of him. And, 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 and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Verse 9, but you're not like that. Say, I'm not like that. Right? For you, remember, you're, you're the holy priest. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special people. You are God's very own possession. So as a result, what do you do? As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Oh, let God show his goodness to them. No, no, no. You show others the goodness of God. Why? Because he's called you, priesthood, out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. In this church, I want you to know this because this is where a lot of churches go wrong. I am not the only priest in this church. I am telling you that I am a priest among priesthood. That is why it's your job to counsel each other. That's why it's your job to encourage each other. When you go to one person only, you've made that man the, the royal priesthood of that house, not recognizing that you too have been branded with royal priesthood. So what? I could also comfort and encourage and love the brotherhood. I don't have to allow it to lay on one person, but I too can lead in the world that I'm living in. Because why? I am his royal priest. This is very important what Peter is saying. He's writing to the church as an apostle. He knew he was the leader of the church. He knew he was the apostle of the church. He knew that he was in part head of this church in a sense of leadership and all that. But he was trying to tell them, hey, don't just wait on me and count on me and wait for me. Every single one of you as you read this letter know this, that you two just like me are what? Royal priests that what? Fulfill their duties fulfill your duties and he says what to them he says i i, I forgot what verse i help me out oh yeah you're god's very own possession now you show off the goodness of god he's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light verse 10 once everyone say once yes once you had no identity man that's what the lord loves to do he loves to what he loves to he loves to I- bring forth your identity you once thought you had an identity you thought you were tough you thought you were strong, you thought you were this, you thought you were, or you thought you were weak, or you thought you were, you were abused, and you, always, you, you thought you were the victim, you thought you were the victim. Well, wherever you were in life, he says what? All those identities that the world branded on you or gave you, you once had no identity. as, But when you come to Christ, now you are God's people. Once you receive no mercy, but now you receive God's mercy. Do you see identification taking place here? Come on, this is good scripture. Verses 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way to 10, good passage, very deep. Don't know how I'm going to do this real quick, but it's important. See, this coming to Christ as he starts off in verse 4, I will repeat, just to get through my notes, does not end at the point of conversion. You should write that in your notes. There's a lot of good notes taken today. When I come to Jesus, does not end, start and end at the point of conversion. Conversion. Peter is indicating that what? This is daily and this is intimate and this is personal relationship that we have with our Lord. When? Every day of our lives. What does this mean? Church, Peter is saying what? You continue to fellowship with Jesus and in Jesus. The religious person says, I've said it, so I am part of that and I give my money to them, my charity, and I'm good. No! There is so much more than you just giving charity. There is so much more than you just attending on a a religious holiday. There is so much more from you than just these walls and this nest. There is so much more and you continue in this fellowship and you encounter the so much more of God. And what does Peter say? This is what you are. You're living stones. I, I got encouraged this week when I read this. As a reminder, I've read this before. But I needed to hear that I'm not just any kind of stone. Listen to this. Peter says, you're not just any kind of stone. You are living stones. And what kind of living stones are you? You're a living stone that God is building into his spiritual house, his spiritual temple. Guys, this is very humbling to hear. I am a living stone that God is building his house on. He chose me to build something so precious. He chose you living stones. I want you to notice the description. What what kind of stones are they? Say it again. Say They're living stones. They're not dead stones. God is not building a spiritual house upon dead stones. God is building a house upon living stones. We ourselves at one point were building with dead stones. How many of you could say that? Upon a dead foundation, what happened to the building on dead stones and a dead foundation? It had to collapse. That house had to collapse. How many of you have had your house collapse? <laughs> Some of us, multiple times. Why? Because you continue to pick up dead stones. Or you continue to place it on dead foundation. But your're living stones on a living foundation, on a chief cornerstone. That house doesn't collapse. I want you to notice the description there. That building, the old building, the dead building had to collapse. It reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 18. It's like the clay in the potter's hand in Jeremiah 18. Read it for yourself this week. That had to be marred or it had to be crushed. So that what? So that it can be built up again to his image and to his likeness. We are what? Clay in the potter's hands. And he's what? He is building us into the image that he wants to build us. Amen? Amen. And Peter goes on and he quotes from the Old Testament and specifically he quotes Isaiah. And he quotes Isaiah in verses 6, 7, and 8. Why is Peter quoting Isaiah in the Old Testament in verses 6, 7, and 8? You know that Paul, I don't have time today because I'm noticing that time's going fast and I have so much more notes. But you know that Paul does the same exact thing in Romans chapter 9 and again he repeats himself in the letter in chapter 10 using repetition to his listeners. Why would Peter and Paul, both of them, quote Old Testament prophet Isaiah? Because it's very very important. Like three weeks ago, you heard me say, there is no New Testament without an Old Testament. It's very important to the Jewish people. And in verses 6, 7, and 8, Paul says it in Romans 9 and 10. Peter says it on and on and on and on and again. And he says, I'm preaching a cornerstone in Jerusalem and chosen for great on and he gives this whole spiel about what's happening and here's how one commentary puts it so well I'm going to read straight from this commentary it says this Jesus as a living stone is superior to the Old Testament temple these words they may also be a subtle attack on the dead stone idols that the Gentiles worshipped prior to becoming Christians have you noticed that the things that you began to pay fully attention to kind of worshipped in your life they were what? dead stone idols that really didn't do any good for you maybe it was a relationship maybe it was a job a career maybe it was money a friendship a circle thus meaning Jesus is greater than the traditions received from the fathers he is greater than the temple in Jerusalem the Jewish people honor the temple of Jerusalem and they, oh my God I can't wait to build another temple and they pray where the temple is and I'm just like come over here and point over here because I'm the temple of God we don't have to go to a wall and pray. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not breaking down, or I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bringing down any Jewish person or someone that believes in that stuff. I'm just letting them know that the greatest temple has been built, and we are the temple, the living temple of God in which He dwells in. That when I rock back and forth, I don't have to look at a place where once the presence of God filled, longing for the presence of God to fill that place again. As I'm walking back and forth, I know that now the presence of God lives in me, and I could come and know that God is alive and well, and He reigns, and I am the temple of god that's that's the revelation that's the mystery that's where we're at and this is what this commentary is saying that jesus is is greater than the temple in jerusalem or any future temple that may happen and he is greater than the tradition of the gentiles with their lifeless stone idols the new building of god of which Jesus is the cornerstone, come on, is the living, it is living, it is the assembly of all the believers. The new temple of God is the church. It's us. We are the temple of God. Stop looking for a building and stop reading Revelation and say, oh, when that third temple gets built, you're the temple of God. Stop focusing so much on the apocalypse and focus about revival that is happening within you. Amen. We're all part of God's spiritual building project. We are living stones. Listen to this, guys. Dead dead stones are of no use, but living stones they have use. And we've been shaped and ready for construction. I wanted. I'll tell you what. In your own notes, you could write this down on a side note. Acts chapter four. Remember when when um, ah, uh, ah. Uh, uh, Peter and John, they were walking by the by the crippled man, and, and they said, "What, silver and gold we do not have, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk." And what happened to them? That got them persecuted. They had to go before a council. They were going to get arrested. Now, do you guys remember that story? Do you know that I'm not gonna, I can't, I don't, I don't, I don't have the time. But listen to this. Do you know that in Acts chapter four? Acts chapter four. Okay, everyone say Acts chapter four. Okay, this is a very, very, very young Peter. We are reading a letter from a very, very older Peter. And a very young Peter in Acts chapter 4 in verse 11 says this, because they, the, the council began to speak down. If you talk about this Jesus one more time, we're going to do this to you. We're going to arrest you. We're going to harm you. La la, la, la la And you know what Peter said in Acts chapter 4 as a young man? He says this, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. That was a young Peter in Acts chapter 4 verse 11. An old Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 is still saying the same thing. <laughs> Love it. We're living stones. We're a royal priesthood. We're part of what the Lord is doing here on this earth. Amen? We are a royal priesthood. We have the privilege and the responsibility of offering and offering up spiritual sacrifices to God. If you think that it's just someone's job, let's say me, for example, just because I'm the pastor here, I'm going to pick on myself. If you think that it's my job to offer up spiritual um, offerings up and sacrifices up to God and not yours, you're wrong. You, you're you wrong. We're all priests and we all offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. This house does not have one priest. We are all priests and we offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. If you are in Christ, man, very important, he's our foundation. He's our chief cornerstone. He is the stone in which all other Living stones are built upon him. And if you are in Christ today, maybe you're listening online and maybe you're here and you're like, I'm dying. I feel like I'm dying. I'm in Christ, but I feel like I'm perishing. I feel like, man, things have become very stagnant. I feel like I'm going backwards. If you feel like your gift is that, I don't know when was the last time I was used by God. I don't know when was the last time I, was, I made my voice heard. I don't know when was the last time I was able to worship the Lord or serve the Lord. If your gift is dying, if your leading is dying, if your love is dying, If your worship is dying, you might want to check on which stone you are being placed upon. Because if you're placed on the chief cornerstone, you are a living stone and nothing in you should be dying. Everything in you should be coming alive. We're living stones, amen? It is the chief cornerstone that brings life and activity into one's life. Don't lose activity. When someone begins to lose activity, what does that mean? Something's dying in them. We don't lose activity. We don't stop. We serve the Lord because he's alive in us. Are you surrounded by other living stones that are alive and being built together to make the most spiritual, most important, most holy building of all? And that is his spiritual house. That is his holy temple. Come on. You are... You are part of God's building, and what are you building? You are building something, the the most important thing that could be built right now is being built, and that is God's spiritual house. Come on, I need you to really get your lens right. I need you to get your focus right. You are building the most important thing, his holy temple. So watch what I'm about to tell you. Seriously, because I need to wrap this up. The ridding of my carnal, rid yourself, the ridding of my carnal man is of great importance. The author of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 15 and 16 says this. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I need to rid myself from these things because I need to live in such a manner. I want God to do such a work in me. Man, what a promise we have. What a promise we have in verse 7. Everyone look back at verse 7. Yes, you who trust in him recognize the honor. The honor God has given you, has given you that those who put their trust in the Lord will not be shamed. The wise king knew this so well. In Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 and 6, very very popular verse, the wise king writes this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all of your ways and he will guide you in the right path. You see that? Very important. You're not going to be put to shame when you trust the Lord. When you trust the Lord, things will prosper. When you put your faith in the Lord, you will not be put ashamed. God will honor the praises of your lips and of your life. Amen. Verse 7 shows us that there is honor. And there is honor for those who believe. One translation, the Holman says it this way. Honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. Come on, church. You who believe, honor will come. It's an honor for us and unto us. One day, we're going to stand before the Lord. And Psalm 118 gives us this end time view of when we stand before God. And the psalmist writes in Psalm 118, I'm going to read to you a couple of verses. He says, again, repeating this same framework, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is an end time scripture. This was the Lord's doing. It is this is Old Testament the psalmist is writing about Jesus to come in the New Testament. This was the Lord's doing. It is the marvelous, it is marvelous in our eyes verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. On that day when we stand before him what are we going to do? We will rejoice and be glad in it. This prophecy in Psalm 118 will be fulfilled. Many were and still are building a life a future, and a world that is apart from Jesus. And in rejecting Jesus, one day they're going to come to know that he alone is the chief cornerstone. Anyone who rejects Jesus on his great coming, when they stand before him, they're going to recognize he is the cornerstone. All that was built and made and believed is useless. Why? Because the builders used the wrong stone as the chief cornerstone. And on that day, guess what, us, the believers, those, the temple, you, the temple, guess what, we're not like them. The temple, the holy people, guess what, on that day, not like them, but we, we will rejoice and be glad. And what will will come out of our lips? For this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. We'll stand as the building that cannot be destroyed. Say that, cannot be destroyed. Do you believe that? You are a building that is kept secure, safe, as we read that in the last chapter. The living stones that make up the spiritual house that is built upon Christ are a cornerstone. Does this sound familiar to you? It should, because Jesus teaches the crowds in Matthew chapter 7. We all know this scripture. In Matthew 7, it says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will like him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the chief cornerstone, the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, they'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell down, descended, the floods came, the winds blew, they beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Do you see this scripture? It's an end time scripture where the holy temple will remain And those that built on the wrong stone would crumble. And verse 8, it says, he's the stone that makes people stumble. The rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they didn't obey his word, just like he said in Matthew. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Come on, verse 9 and 10, as we get ready to end now. Do not forget this. You are not like that. Everyone say, I'm not like that. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's own possession. And you could show others the goodness of God. You were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at the difference between those who believe and those who do not. Look at the difference. I want everyone to look at verse 11. Because this is the last verse of this day and of this sermon. Verse 11, Peter writes this. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents. Notice the ongoing theme. your temporary residents and foreigners. Look what he's saying. To keep away, rid yourself from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Amen. So let's not forget that we're waiting on our end time inheritance and we are temporary residents we are sojourners we are, we are we are pilgrims and with these words peter reminds believers that this earth is not our home that you and I are foreigners but what are we doing what are you and I doing right now we are traveling and we are traveling to our eternal home which is heaven The the word there, to keep away from worldly desires, or the ESV, to abstain, it literally means to hold away from one person's wanting. In other words, distance yourselves from your own self-indulgent urges. Rid yourself. Verse 11, because these things make war. Everyone say war. I love that one of our codes is we make war. But this is talking about a different war. That when we're living in these selfish and sinful worldly desires, they wage war against our soul listen to this, life is not a game but it's a war to be waged and that war is a matter of eternal life or death yet the war is not necessarily fought on a physical plane on a temporal plane but the war is fought on a spiritual plane how many of you could say yeah in Romans 7, 23, it says, but I see in my members. Paul writes this in Romans 7. Another law waging against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul recognizes this. There is a war that is happening within me and it's spiritual. Jesus' very own half-brother says this. The apostle says in James chapter 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels, quarrels fights, problems, What causes fights among you, question mark? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Wow, man. Most fights happen because of a war that I'm losing inside of me. Just think about that. So let's say I'm at war with my brother. I'm at war with my sister and I'm fighting. My fight, my quarrel, my problem is because I'm losing a spiritual war inside. But now, Peter reminds us you're not like that. You rid yourself from these things. For you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. You are God's very own special people. How many of you could say amen? Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I really hope you got something today. I really hope you learned something from the Word of God today. How many of you learned something from the Word of God? It's cold in here. I see y'all. It's good. It keeps you awake. You know that, right? Amen. I love Paul. And then we'll just pray. I love when Paul writes this, because we're not like that, Peter says, but I love Paul says this, because how many of you know that you're called to have life in the Spirit? You don't have, that doesn't, it doesn't make sense to have death in the Spirit. You have life in the Spirit. So Paul writes in Romans 8, so now there is no condemnation, con, condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Look how Paul and Peter parallel one another. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have and in that body God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead we follow the spirit come on who do you follow the sinful nature the spirit you're alive in the spirit so it's the things of the spirit verse 5 those who are dominated by the sinful nature they think about sinful things when you wake up, do your thoughts go automatically to sinful things? It's because you're dominated by the sinful nature. When you wake up, is it automatically you enter into prayer, automatically you enter to thanksgiving, gratitude. Do you worship, do you pray, or do you engulf yourself with sin. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, they think about the things that please the Spirit. So, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Come on, rid yourself. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and to peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God, it never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Have you tried to please God? At one point of your life, He you said, It was so difficult because you continue to live a sinful life and, God, and you've noticed that in my sinful life I can't please God but you, everyone say me you're not controlled by your sinful nature but you are controlled by the Spirit amen and if you have the Spirit of God living in you remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all He says that as a sign. note verse 10 and Christ lives within you So even though your body will die because of sin the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. What is he saying? You're not like that. What is he really saying? Paul you're built different. That's why we should name this message. Instead of rid yourself you're built different. You know what? Take that off the The title of the message, you're built different. You're built different. You're built different. So you rid yourself from these things. You rid yourself from these things because you're built different. You're living stones placed upon the chief cornerstone. What's the best thing that you could do? Tonight, tomorrow, go back and study this passage, verses 1 through 11. Go back and hear the podcast, the YouTube channel. Take notes again see what it is that god is speaking to you about we spoke about so many different things and we and there's so many other things i could have said but what is it that the lord is saying to you amen can you pray with me as you close your eyes and as you just meditate there on yourself i want you to examine deep within is there anyone in here today that recognizes you know what i'm built different and i know that there are still things in my life that i need to rid myself of and 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 today I, i need to make this proclamation to the lord Lord I, I, I am your holy temple I, I am a living stone in which is built upon you the chief cornerstone I want you to examine yourself right there if that's you today and you're saying I come before God in that prayer with that statement with that truth in my life through this word right there Rhea, can you just raise your hand maybe it's both hands as a sign of surrender I would ask you guys to come up here and let's pray over you but the reality is I really do feel like this is probably 100% of us Lord, I'm built different. Lord, I ask that you rid me. Help me rid myself of myself so that I could truly be that living stone that is placed upon the chief cornerstone. Come on, with every hand raised, with every heart opened, just pray with me. Begin to pray right there where you're at. Lord, I thank you for this group today. I thank you for those that are online, that are watching this right now, and for those that will watch it, maybe some of us are going to share this with family members, with friends that need to hear this. Lord, I pray for their hearts right now. I pray, Lord God, that you would begin to soften, that you begin to move right now, that you begin to heal. And for every person that's here right now, Lord God, that you would do a mighty work and that we would know that we're built different. And because we're built different, Lord, there's just things in us that we need to rid ourselves of because, Lord, we're living stones and you're calling us to crave and long for the the nourishment of God, the things that are good the pure spiritual milk of God, the things that will cause us to grow and mature. And Lord, I pray that we would not cease or we would not stop or even end where we started or maybe where we are are currently at. I pray that if there's anyone here that is stagnant, maybe they're on cruise control, I pray that every single one of us would take take themselves off cruise control and put their feet down on that pedal and excel and do great things for the kingdom that they could see that they're made they're made for so much more in this lifetime that they are actually the royal priesthood that they are living stones that they are a royal a royal people a chosen generation just for this time so that they could be a light for they were once in darkness and now they've come to faith and made alive into your marvelous light and that there would be a testimony to all those who are still in that darkness. Lord, we pray for that strengthening over this family. We pray for those that will watch this and we pray that you would encourage us, that you would bring growth. So Lord, we ask for forgiveness of all of our sins. Come on. Lord, we repent right now. Lord, we die to all those things, the sinful nature. We die to all the things of the flesh. That we would not crave, Lord, the worldly desires or the desires of the flesh, but that we would crave spiritual things. That we would crave the things of the Spirit. That we would long for the things of the Spirit and that we would live in the Spirit. We thank you for this word, for this chapter here in this letter. That it would bring, bring much growth and edification. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord, and we honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Come on, church, and together we say amen. Can you give God some praise? Give him some praise and some honor. He's worthy. He's worthy.